You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thank you very much. What a blessing. Amen. God's good, isn't he? How exciting to think about that. Melanie said there's uh, 50 kids uh, that we got involved right now in our children's program. And that's, you know, I think that's growing probably about every month. Um, and, uh, and if nothing else, every nine months or so, we have that growing around here, which is uh, really exciting as well. So uh, anyway, I'm going to be in the book of Acts today, the, the book of Acts chapter number one. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of, you know, guys, I, I've never been this guy, but I've known a few of you guys, and I've known some guys over the years to where you go in their garage and you see an old car sitting there, an old truck that you can tell, man, just some classic car, uh, you know, and it's just like, man, I'd love to take that thing out for a spin or at least ride with you while you take it out to a spin, on a spin, right? Because uh, probably won't let me drive it, but, but I'd just love to go out in that, in, that, in that beautiful old classic Mustang or Camaro or old Ford truck, whatever it might be. But normally if it's sitting in the garage and a lot of times it's tore apart and it may even look like, man, this thing's coming together. Could we take it out? But if you look over in the side, you see the engine or at least pieces of an engine laid out over here. And the point is, is you may have a beautiful classic car, but if you don't have a working engine in that thing and, and everything else that goes along with it, it's not going to go anywhere. And, you know, in a way, that's kind of how the disciples are here in the book of Acts. These are the pieces, this is the, the body, if you will, that God is going to use to transform the world. But before they can go out and start running, before they can go out and start cruising for Jesus, they have to first get the engine. They first need power. They first need something and really someone who is going to drive them to this goal. And so if you would... In the book of Acts, look with me once again in verse number 1 of chapter 1 where the Bible says, The former treatise have I, treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. And I just emphasize that. You should mark that word. Began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up after he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. And after his passion speaks of after the cross, he died. And after his passion, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In verse 4, the forty days that Jesus has been with them since the resurrection is drawing to a close. And in verse 4, the Bible says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. And again, we preached about that a couple weeks ago. Wait. None of us love to wait. And this book of action starts with wait. Wait. Wait for what? For the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. All right, so what's the promise of the Father? Well, let's just keep reading there. For John truly baptized with what? Water. Now, let's pause right there. Do any of you say, so what else would you baptize with? What else could you baptize with besides water? 
What somebody say? Oil. Okay. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you get baptized with a lot of things, I guess, technically, if you go down that road. But John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Huh. So not water. No, no, no. Not water. The Holy Ghost. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou, this, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, and by the way, there's some of you, Ralph, who really need to underline and circle this next phrase. You ready? It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. So as he was speaking, Jesus just begins to lift up off the ground. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Can you just imagine this? Jesus is talking and understand the expectation of the disciples. I'm not preaching about this today. We'll deal with this more later. But they just asked him, so Lord, are you about to become the king of the world right now on this earth? Jesus says, well, it's not for you to know that time. But what you do need to know is you need to go. And I will be talking about that. That's the title for later. But... Next thing you know, Jesus just starts saying, yeah, he's just talking to me. Can you imagine me talking to you right now and just start lifting up in the air? That one would probably really freak you out, right? Um, as it probably should. Just, but he just starts raising up in the air. And, as he, and he just keeps going and going and going all the way up into a cloud. And on he goes. Well, I guess he's not going to do it today because <laughs> he just went that way. It's just a, it's just a funny picture to me. But in verse 10, the Bible says, While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And again, there's a lot to unpack in these verses, but I want to I think about something for a second. It's extraordinary to think that each of us are here today due to an objective that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ more than 2,000 years ago. It was given by Jesus and it was followed by his disciples. This small group without money, without rights, without political influence, without formal training, turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And literally, we are here today because of what happened in these verses. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world, starting right here on your street, and start just telling people about what I did for them and what it means for their lives. Tell them not only that I died, but why I died. And tell them not only that I rose again, but why I rose again. That's the gospel. And so that, you may, so that they may experience a transformed life. Not follow some strict rule religion, but literally encounter the living Christ for themselves. So that began to happen one person at a time, one generation at a time, all the way until we are here where we are today. So what is the catalyst? Verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we're here today, but we see in this verse the catalyst here is the Holy Ghost of God, the Holy Spirit of God. He says, you shall receive power. That word power right there, when the inventor of uh, TNT began to try to find a good name for what he would call this explosive uh, power that he had invented, he went to the Greek and he found the Greek word dunamis because it, 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 it describes just a unleashed power. I mean, it goes from here to just boom. And he says dunamis. That's where I'm going to get the word for dynamite. So, and th that's the Greek word used right here. You shall receive power. He says, you don't have it yet. Right now, you're just the car sitting in the garage without an engine. But if you wait here, you're going to receive power from on high. To do what? The Bible says to be witnesses. You shall be witnesses unto me. Now, that word witnesses is where we get the word martyr from. Anybody know what a martyr is? That's someone who gives their life for their faith. So these men were, they believed so much in what they were preaching that they were willing to give their lives for that. But before they actually gave their lives in death, they gave their lives, they gave their time, they gave it all to tell other people about what Jesus Christ had done for them. But remember, if you read the gospel accounts, you'll find out that these are the same guys that after Jesus' death were running scared. Imagine this. Who does Jesus want to be leading this crew? Who does Jesus want to be the foremost leader in this group, the church, that's going to change the world? It's a man that while Jesus was being falsely accused and tried, he was scared to admit to a teenage girl that he was a follower of Christ. And just for good measure, cussed and swore that he didn't know him. This is who we're counting on right here. Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, Oh yeah, man, these guys. These guys have the stuff, man. They've got what it takes. No. In a sense he did, but what it takes was for them to be broken and realize that they don't have strength in and of themselves and that they need the power of God in their lives. But it wasn't just an innate something about these guys that they were going to turn the world upside down. I started off by reading the first verses again, just to remind you, you said the former treaties. In other words, here's what Luke is saying. In the Gospel of Luke, I told you all that Jesus did while on earth. Now, this is how His work goes on. We're coming up on celebrating Christmas. He came. He didn't just do something 2,000 years ago. His work goes on. So Luke says, I wrote to you to tell you what Jesus started now I'm writing the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to tell you the rest of the story. The continuation of the story begins with the work of the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, y'all can't do this work yet. Jesus has already given them the commands to, to, about what they're going to do, but He said, don't do it yet. I want you to wait here. They had to wait there for an additional 10 days after Jesus' ascension. I want you to wait here. 
Because you're not ready. You cannot do this in your own strength. You must wait. You must wait to be baptized, as he says here, with the Holy Ghost. And may I say this today? May God help us as a people and as a church especially to learn to wait on God. Wait on the power of God. Wait on the working of God before we move. These men and women, this is good news, these men and women were not left alone to figure it out for themselves. Jesus just didn't say, hey, here's what you do. Now you just figure out how, how you're going to accomplish it. No, they were not left alone. And I'm going to say that again because it's important. They were not left alone. I want to stress that part to figure it out for themselves. They were not left alone to depend on their best efforts or the leading philosophies of men. And I want to say this, neither are we. As a church, as a Christian, as an individual, we are not left to figure it out for ourselves. We are not left to, to depend upon our best efforts, our turning over a new leaf, our trying to do better. That only gets you so far. What we find out today is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God, it's His working within us which enables and empowers us to live for Him. That's the difference, folks. Uh, it is the working of the Holy Ghost of God. So they weren't left alone. They were to wait for someone to come alongside and truly someone who would come within them. You know, we, we grasp, I feel like, very well the, the idea behind the incarnation. Now, whether or not you know the word incarnation, but incarnation just refers to God becoming a man. It refers to Jesus being born. We get that. We get that it happened. Now, religion takes away kind of the main importance of it. Oftentimes, religion just says, oh, he was born, and, and boy, what a great example he is for us to follow. We, we should follow his teachings and beatitudes and look at his life. Well, there may be truth to all that, but that's not why he was born. The incarnation, he was born, he became a man. That, number one, that while he was on this earth, he could learn for those 33 and a half years what it's like to bear the burdens that we have to bear. God in spirit had never been hungry before, but as a man he was hungry. God in spirit had never felt pain before, but as a man he did. God, he, he never felt the things that, that we felt until he came in the incarnation, which is why, isn't this a beautiful thing? Whatever you're going through, Jesus Christ literally came to this earth partly so that he'd be able to identify with you. So he would be able to understand. And literally the Bible says in Hebrews that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he, he, he feels your pain, literally. Like that's the thing that people say, right? Oh, I feel your pain. Do you really? Do you even really care? Jesus really does. He knows he cares, okay? But then, but then greater than that, he, went to the, he, he took on a body so he could go to the cross and, 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 and fulfill and pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. Physical death eternal death which is separation from God the Father that's what Jesus endured all on the cross he came for that reason the incarnation he died he rose again the third day the incarnation but one of the things that so we if you, you almost everybody in our country knows about the incarnation very few understand the great significance of the incarnation but I'm telling you one of the things that we do miss sometimes is the necessity of the indwelling of God the indwelling of God. And I, I'm going to leave that right there because I want to come back to it in a moment. 
But the indwelling, the incarnation is God becoming a man. The indwelling is God coming and living in us. In the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Indwelling us, empowering us, enlightening us. He does this all. See, we celebrate the incarnation again on a grand scale. But it's, and it's understandable that we don't celebrate the indwelling of the Holy Ghost of God, especially as we'll find out. He didn't come to speak about himself. He came to speak about Jesus. Um, but it's, it's, it's vital. One cannot be saved without knowing and placing their trust in the reason for Jesus Christ's coming. In other words, his death, burial, and resurrection. Nor can an individual or a church function without knowing and placing their trust in the reason for the Holy Spirit's coming. I mentioned earlier during announcements that we're coming up on our Vision Sunday where we lay out our vision for next year. And, and, and the leaders and I, we spend a lot of time and, and going forward we're going to spend more time and be more efficient about it, but we spend a lot of time and energy making plans often studying tactics and trends that are working well in getting a work done for the Lord. However, if we are not relying on God's promise, if we're not relying and living in God's presence and serving with God's power, it's all in vain. We must rely and depend upon Him. Jesus uses interesting terminology, doesn't He? to describe the experience upon which the disciples were to wait. Were you intrigued by that at all in verse 5? For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. The reference here is to spirit baptism. Not water baptism, but spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is a spiritual reality. You may be surprised to learn that one in four times that you read the word baptized in the New Testament, it's talking about spirit baptism. And interestingly enough, almost every time or often when the Bible is teaching about baptism, it refers to spirit baptism. The other references are often just to people getting water baptized. So we believe in water baptism because it's a, a biblical uh, really command from the scripture but water baptism is not vital water baptism is not essential for salvation water baptism does not wash away sins right I mean listen it does not do that water baptism uh, well, I'll just say in just a statement in just a moment but this is a crucial baptism. Jesus makes the distinction. He's the one who says he baptized with water, but what you really need is a different baptism. This crucial baptism they are told to wait upon is a dry baptism. You know, uh, the, the word baptism, I've mentioned this before, but it's a transliteration, which is just a word that, that was not actually interpreted from the Greek. I, I saw some instruction, I saw some a tag the other day. And in English it said made in China. And then in, um, uh, the next one was uh, in Spanish and it said, you know what, hecho in uh, China. Uh, and the next one was in some other language and it said blah, 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 China. Whatever. But it's a transliteration. In other words, if you 
You know, if, if you're in some country, you don't like have China in your vocabulary. So when you learn of a place off in the distance called China, you don't have a word for that. So you just say China and you put a little accent on it, right? Um, I wasn't going to do it again. Um, <laughs> lest I offend somebody, right? Cultural appropriation or something, I guess. But, um, but that's what baptism is. The Greek word is baptizo. Well, that doesn't sound very English. So instead of saying baptizo, they changed it to baptism or baptize. Uh, that sounds more English. But, but the word was never actually um, you know, put into English as far as the definition because the word actually means to immerse, to immerse, okay? But, but so it's transliteration. Um, it was used, and, and, and it, the word baptism was used in their culture. So when he said baptize here, these people saw baptism every day in the market. They would see a baptism every time they walked walk past the blacksmith and saw a blacksmith pounding out and, 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 and heating up a piece of metal. They saw baptism. This is, that's the term they used. They would, they would see baptism whenever that blacksmith would then take that, that hot piece of iron and dip it into water. And the nature of that is changed. And it's no longer, because before, honestly, it's just a hot piece of metal. But when it comes out of that water, it's a sword. They would see baptism every day in the market. They'd see baptism if they were to walk by a merchant that was selling dyed cloth. When they would take a piece of a white garment and put it down into water with dye. And what happens? That, that garment goes into the water, but then the water and the dye get into that garment. It's in the water, now the water's in it. Now we're still talking about water, which doesn't help clear things up too much, but those were the terminologies that they understood. As illustrated in these examples, really, basically the word baptizo is understood to be the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with someone else as to alter or alter its relationship or its previous environment or condition. Spirit baptism then refers to the act of God introducing a believing sinner into vital union with Jesus Christ so that the believer might have the power of his sinful nature broken and the divine nature implanted through his identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection thus altering the condition and relationship of the sinner with regard to his previous state and environment, bringing him into a new environment, the kingdom of God. I'll try to say that another way. Just like we talked about that garment being taken out, put into that, that water and that dye, the garment goes into the, to the water and the dye, the water and the dye get into that garment, and it comes out changed. It comes out different. It comes out with a brand new identity. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, that act of faith is when spirit baptism takes place. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says you are now in Christ. So spiritually speaking, you, you go into Christ. But then also Christ comes into you. And you come out different. You come out changed. You come out with a different nature. You come out with a different identity. The moment you trust Christ as Savior, that's spirit baptism. 
The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now, mind you, we're, we're in a transition period here in, in our text. But 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Not by one water, not by one tub. We're baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. This passage used the word uh, united together, grafted in. Spirit baptism is our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies every born-again believer with the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of His eternal work. Paul is trying to convey in the verses I just shared with you the remarkable truth that Christ's death, listen to this, identification. Christ's death was your death. He didn't die for His sins. He died for yours. He didn't rise again so that he could be made perfect in the sight of God because he already is perfect. He rose again for you. He died for your sins. He rose so that you might be just in the sight of God. And when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I'm accepting that. I am making that my reality by faith. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit really comes down to. The Bible says again, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. This makes clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a completed past action. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit today includes every believer. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is connected with our standing before God when we come to Christ. He puts His Spirit within us. Water baptism is then an outward testimony of our faith in Him. That's what water baptism is. It's, it's our outward expression of the faith that we put in the Lord Jesus Christ. So water baptism, remember this, water baptism is something every one of us should uh, do. As you see here in our church, and people ask us, well, why do you do the, why do you do the immersion thing? The answer to questions on like why we do things here in this church, the things that we do that we don't bend on is not because of some denomination. Something you need to really understand about us is we are not a denomination. Can you find our headquarters? Can you find the person or the group that's over this church? It doesn't exist outside of heaven. The ba a Baptist church, a true Baptist church is not a denominational church. In fact, Baptists truly were the first non-denominational church. We're not a denomination. We're just Bible believers. All we do is, because when you ask, well, what is the difference there? We don't say, well, in our Baptist catechism, it, there's no such thing. We just believe the Bible. We just follow Christ. We follow the New Testament church. We're non-denominational truly in that. But Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the one who has ordained the church. He's the one who is blessing. He's the one who is working. So why, why, why would we insist on, and, and I say insist, you don't have to be water baptized. You, you really don't. 
Because you could go, you could live and die without that. The thief on the cross, you remember him? A couple of interesting things about baptism. I'm not going to get too far into baptism today. We, I've, it's nothing wrong with getting to it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. But I'll say it's interesting that the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Well, we were taught that you had to be baptized in order for your original sins to, and, and on down the line. Well, um, you were taught wrong. You were taught contrary to the Bible. Now, I'm not being ugly at all. I'm really not. I'm just telling you. You say, well, you kind of are ugly, but, but I'm not being ugly, all right? Um, I'm not. I'm just telling you. That's what. Well, so, number one, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Number two, baptism, by immer- baptism is always somebody who can make the decision for themselves. If you believe, you can be baptized. Again, this is Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. That's what, that's what we believe. Tradition don't really matter. We have traditions as a church, but we're not, we're not unbreakable on those traditions. We're not unbreakable on the traditions. But when it comes to the Word of God, we don't feel like, we don't feel, we feel, don't matter how we feel, we do not have a right to violate the teaching of God's Word. It's God's Word. So we follow that. So therefore, uh, but then Jesus says, even though it's not required for salvation, it's one of the very first steps of obedience. We don't have a baptism here, a baptismal here. Um, we use oftentimes a pool or something else during the summer months when it's warmer. Uh, but I do have a new baptismal that I want to bring into the church because there's some of you that want to be baptized, need to be baptized. And all you're simply doing is saying, hey, inwardly, this is what Jesus did in my life. And what God d- does is He commands us to express it outwardly. To express it outwardly. A matter of faith and a matter of public testimony. But baptism is not required for salvation. I want to show you a couple things here quickly that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Remember here it says, as He promised. In verse 4 it says, wait for the promise as He said. In John 14, I just want to read you a few verses here. John 14, He says, oh, let me pause right here a second. Let me get get myself to, to transition this gap. I just got through telling you what happens to each of us today when we're saved. The moment you trust Christ as Savior, and again, throughout the New Testament, the teaching is the moment you trust Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Ghost of God. Now there is a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. There's a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit from a doctrinal standpoint. Sometimes people get some terms mixed up semantically speaking. But the thing you've got to understand about these disciples is they did not have the, they put their faith and trust in Christ, but did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because they had the very Son of God in their presence. And so what you see much through the book of Acts is there's a transition period from the time in the Old Testament the Spirit of God would come upon people. Maybe the Spirit of God would even infill people, debatably. But the Holy Ghost of God never just continually indwelt and sealed people for the remainder of their lives. That's not what you see taught in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God would come and help people for certain tasks normally. So that's what was going on when Jesus came walking the earth. So with that, with that background, I'll just try to let Jesus explain it better than me, okay? In John 14, verse number 16... The Bible says, and I will pray the Father. By the way, let me back up here again. I keep interrupting myself. They don't teach you this in speech class. I'm just telling you about that right now. 
For some of you, when I say John 14, you may have something else come to mind. John 14. John 14 is when Jesus is saying to them, I'm going away. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas saith, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, and my Father's house are many mansions. But remember, he starts this chapter off as saying, See you, fellas. Let y'all know I'm going to be leaving here pretty soon. And you want to know, you want to know the disciples, uh, really, their, their, their conscious reaction to that was basically, uh, I wonder what that means. I wonder what that symbolically means. That's what many of them thought. They didn't really get that he was leaving. But he's saying, I'm leaving. Now let's get to verse 16. I'm leaving. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That's paraclete. That, that's one called alongside to help. That's one just like the one who's leaving. That he may abide with you forever. Even, and if you want to know who the spirit of the comforter is, verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. Notice this. For he dwelleth, the Holy Spirit dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit's with you disciples right now, but the Holy Spirit is not in you disciples right now. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. What was Jesus referring to there? What am I going to do with this jacket? What was Jesus referring to there? He was saying, I'm leaving, and the world's going to see me no more. You know what he's talking about? The thing we talked about earlier. Where is he going? I'm leaving, and the world's not going to see me anymore. Yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. And that day shall you know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. This is something I can't give you right now, but my goodness, I wish you'd look into it. I've been so blessed studying this this week, Dan. From Acts 1, now to John 14, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Over and over again. And the cool thing to me is, Jesus is saying, fellas, I'm leaving you. And they were sad about that. But he says, don't worry. I'm going to come back and be with you. I'm going to be living in you. Through the, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm, in other words, you'll never be alone. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving. Hallelujah. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake. You ever have anybody leave you? you ever anybody walk out on you? You know? I tell you sometimes I say that my dad took one look at me when I was a baby and left the house and never come back. He walked out and left. But you want to know something? God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never run out on you. And I'm telling you, and it's funny when you tell stuff like that, people don't know whether to laugh or not because you're trying to tell a joke about being uh, deserted. But uh, <laughs> desertion can be funny if you put it that way, I guess. But anyway, but Jesus said, I won't leave you. I'll never leave you. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to walk away. And, uh, and then, then, then notice, look, verse 23 real quick. He says this, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In other words, we're going to live in him. We're going to live in him. This is all what's going to come. 
So, he, and again, remember, he says, the Holy Spirit's with you, but he's going to be in you. And as a result of this, I just want to read to you a profound verse. In verse 12 of this same chapter, you've got to go back a little bit. He says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. There's, ex there's an explanation for that, but I'm not going to get into that. I just want to read you another quick passage here, and it's, we'll wrap up in just a moment, but in John 16, again, just letting Jesus explain this working of the Holy Spirit in, in relation to the disciples in Acts 1 and 2. Chapter 16 of John, verse 7, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Let me tell you a couple quick things about the Holy Ghost, the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Pneumatology is what they call the study of the Holy Spirit of God. But the, Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And when I do, those of you that have believed on me, you're going to be baptized. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost of God. He's going to take up residence inside of you. And here's what he's going to do also. The Bible says he's going to reprove the world of sin. The, the church really isn't the ones that do the work. It's the Spirit of God that does the work. The acts of the apostles really ain't about the apostles. It's about the, the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And that's what it's about today. When I stand up here and preach week after week, you know one of the things that I hear on a, on a regular basis? I hear people say things like this, Preacher, you were preaching straight to my heart. I've literally had people get mad and offended because they thought I was preaching to them. I have had people on numerous occasions get mad at wives, husbands, and children because they told the preacher what they had said or what they believed or what they were doing that week. I have no clue. I can't do that. I get up here, this guy, God, isn't it amazing? The Bible says God uses the fullest things of the world. This is kind of a weird thing if you think about it, ain't it? Hey, let's go to church and let Jesse stumble and stutter and yell at us for half an hour. He said it was half an hour and it's already 40 minutes. Um, right? I can't do the work. But there's a Spirit of God who works. There's the Holy Spirit of God that draws. See, some, some of this is, this is beautiful. Some of you think you've gotten a place in your life to where you think that you're seeking God now. You know what, I, I, I'm going to start seeking after God in my life. And you are, but I want to tell you why you are. Because He already started seeking after you. He already started working in you. He, he, he let you see that post. He let you get that text. He let that, that co-worker just randomly say something, randomly. He, man, God, man, listen. If God's got way too much invested in you just to let you die without Christ. He really does. You look at the cross. He's got way too much invested. So the Holy Spirit comes and He works and He convicts. He reproves of sin. He shows you your sinful condition. You've sinned against God. Sin is an offense to God. Sin separates from God. Sin will separate from God in all eternity in a place called hell. But Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again so that you wouldn't be separated for all eternity. 
So he, he, he reproves the world. But he don't just do that. Notice this. In verse 13 of John 17, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. See, really, ultimately, in the Word of God, I want, I want to close with just a cool narrative. In my, in my mind, I just love this. You really discover what God had in mind when He devised the great plan of salvation. Would you all stand as I give you this last part and Daniel come? To begin with, God's, listen to me, God's desire to live in us. See, He's not satisfied just simply to tell us that He loves us or even to show us that He loves us. It's interesting if you trace God's dwelling places throughout the Bible. In the beginning, God had fellowship with man in a personal way. Anybody remember in the garden? What did God do with man? He walked with man. He walked with man. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. In Genesis, walked is one of the key words. God walked with men. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. But by the time the events recorded in Exodus, a change had taken place. God did not simply walk with men. God said, hey, I want you to make a little tent and put it in the middle of y'all's tents because I want to live in y'all's neighborhood. I just want to live right there with y'all. So they made a tabernacle. He lived or dwelt with them. Later, there was a temple made. God said, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I want to live among them. That's cool. I mean, don't you care about who your neighbors are? That's kind of cool if God says, hey, I want to come live, by, live next to you. I'd love just to be your neighbor. He said, I want to dwell among you. God uh, dwelt in the camp. He did not dwell in the bodies of the individuals, though. They built a temple. But history repeated itself over and over again, and Israel would disobey God. And in, after their worship in the temple... They begin to worship idols. They sinned. They were taken into captivity and the gorgeous temple was destroyed. Ezekiel saw the glory depart from it. So God walked with man, dwelt with man, but he, had to, he, he left. His, his dwelling place was gone as it were. But did God's glory ever return to man? Yes, it did. In God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us and we beheld His glory. The glory of God dwelt on earth. Think about that. I want to walk with you. I want to dwell among you. You know what? I'm just going to become just like you and physically come and walk with you and be like you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. His body was a temple as it were. But wicked men nailed His body to a cross but all this was a part of God's thrilling plan because Christ arose from the dead and returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in men. Now, the glory of the Almighty Eternal God, the Great I Am, doesn't dwell to where He comes walks with us every once in a while, dwells in our neighborhood, walks among us, but dwells within each of us who are saved by God's grace. Man, I'm telling you, the wonder, imagine that. 
But that's exactly what happens. That's exactly why Jesus said, I'm going away so the Holy Spirit of God can come in. So I say to you today, I don't know where you stand, but as a church, one thing we learn is without the power of God, we can forget about doing anything. There's no power. There's no engine. I believe in planning. I believe in, in, in all these other things. But ultimately, as the old songwriter said, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And if you're here today and you're saved, and Danny can begin playing, if you're here today and you are not saved, you don't know Christ as your Savior, that sweet voice that's been speaking to your heart, that quiet voice that's been speaking to your heart, you want to know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, it's God Almighty. It's the Creator. It's Jesus Christ, the one who, who bled and died for you. He's calling you. It's the Spirit of God that draws. And you know what you must simply do? It's a matter of the will. You know, I've seen people stand in church and just, just get white-knuckled, hanging onto a chair, you know, just, I don't want to let go, don't want to let go. You're, you're here because you came to let go. You're here because what you've been holding on to ain't worth holding on to, and you know it. But it's scary. It's scary to let go and just say, okay, God, I believe on you. But that's what he asked you to do today. Think about all he did. He went to the cross. He rose again. He came, and he comes right here today, once again, right there where you are, if you'll just be willing to reach out by faith and say, yes, Jesus, I believe on you. I do admit that I'm a sinner, but Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again the third day. And Lord, I invite you. I'm letting go right now, Lord. And I'm letting you and inviting you into my heart and my life to be my Lord and my Savior. You can do that right where you're standing today and experience spirit baptism. Just like that. Would you pray with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of God's Word. Thank you for helping us to get a glimpse of your truth. Holy Spirit, I know you were talking to hearts today. I pray that you'll help us each to respond positively, but I pray especially for that one who maybe perhaps today has not yet received that wonderful gift, that wonderful baptism, that wonderful identification with you. Lord, I pray right now you'll help them to let go and right in this very moment pray this prayer from their hearts. Dear Lord Jesus, Please forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and my trust in all that you did on the cross. Come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and my Savior. I believe on you. And Lord, I don't ask for a feeling. I don't ask for a sign. I just thank you for the promise that you've given that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, dear Lord God, for your wonderful truth, your wonderful promises. In Jesus' name I pray.